Well, thanks again. Thank you, Ryan, for leading off. I think that was a strong triple. Stand up, stand up triple. Um, now that was excellent. It was it was compelling. It was complete. Um, I feel like we could just end with that. Um, but we're going to talk about singing. So Ryan built the house. Now we need to live in it. We want to decorate it, make it our own, and fill it with song. And so um, some of us, some of you, may not love singing, may not love, um, yeah, uh, even love music. Um, some of you come to church and you patiently endure the singing part until we get to the good stuff, right, the preaching, or maybe your thing is prayer or scripture or fellowship, but you don't come for the music. That's fine, but Martin Luther has some words for you. (laughs) To put it blandly, Martin Luther was a music lover, and he says this, the precious gift music has been bestowed on men alone to remind them that they are created to praise and magnify the Lord. But when natural music is sharpened and polished by art, then one begins to see with amazement the great and perfect wisdom of God in his wonderful work of music, where one voice takes a simple part and around it sing three, four, or five other voices, leaping, springing, round about, marvelously gracing the simple part, like a folk dance in heaven with friendly bows, embracing and hearty swinging of partners. A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God, must be a clodhopper indeed. (laughs) And does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. He said it, not me. Um, His words. So we may not want to share Luther's attitude, but we do want his passion. We want to be passionate about music. God is passionate about music, and we want to be as well. So singing in a group is becoming a more rare and strange act. Coming together to sing uh, with a bunch of strange people uh, for one purpose, outside of church or occasional rock concert or seventh-inning stretch at Wrigley. We don't sing much um, as a group of people um, in our country, in our culture. So we want to look at a few questions in this, uh, this section. So you have your notes um, in session two here. Number one, under the main question of why do we sing? And a lot of this will be echoing what Ryan has discussed in the last section of his talk. So if you're listening to this online or listening to the recording, you might pause and go back and listen to Ryan's part first and then come back. We're going to be uh, drilling down on some of the things that he's already talked about. Number one, it's biblically commanded. We strive to be people of the book, to live and worship according to the prescribed practices of his word. And to do this, we must sing. Isaiah 12, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let them be made known in all the earth. David writes, Psalm 47, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king and of In case you missed the first three, he says, sing praises. It's like he's saying, verily, verily, I say unto thee, sing. It's important. And in the New Testament, 
Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's all over the Bible. The longest book in the Bible is a song book. It's commanded 50 times directly. Singing is referenced over 400 times. If we removed all the references to songs and all the songs in the Bible, the Bible would be quite a bit thinner. So it's obviously important to God. He has commanded it. The end. We can go home now. That's, uh, that's all we've got. It's the shortest section on a seminar ever. No, but there's more to say about it. Number two, why do we sing? It's historically precedented. We have a sung faith. The Christian church was born in song. The melody of our faith is laced in the historical church's DNA. Ronald Allen puts it great. When a non-singer becomes a Christian, he or she becomes a singer. Now, not all great singers, unfortunately, but we become, we sing nonetheless. Martin Luther, again, the prophets cultivated no art so much as music in that they attached their theology not to geometry, nor to arithmetic, nor to astronomy, but to music, speaking and singing the truth through psalms and hymns. We see the example of the first praise team, led by the first praise team leader, David, and his team of 4,000 musicians. So I was going to point out Chris here and, and ask what he, would, what he would think of having 4,000 musicians on stage um, trying to handle that. It was kind of a big deal. So, and all these musicians were trained. They were led by chief musicians, over 220 chief musicians that led these 4,000 musicians. And it said that they understood music. They knew they were trained um, from childhood to lead the people of God in worship. It was, it was a big deal. Singing was part of the oral tradition of God's people. David recounts God's work through Moses and the exodus of God's people in song in Psalm 105. He says, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. It's also how we pass the oral tradition from one generation to the, to the next. Psalm 145, again, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We have examples of the saints of old and the prophets, songs of Moses, Hannah, and 1 Samuel to David, to the New Testament, to Mary's song, and then into the early church with Martin Luther, and through the ages to Isaac Watts, Fanny Crosby, and now even the Gettys as they write, as they write great hymns of our faith. We follow a well-worn path left for us by the saints of every age. It's littered with the breadcrumbs of our faith, and we should follow. A Mighty Fortress was written, which... Most of us in here know, a mighty fortress is our God, was written in 1529. So if you're doing the math, that's old. And we, we, we still sing it because it's great, it's true. We share the songs of the saints before us and after us. We sing many songs. I believe in Christ alone, written by the Gettys um, recently, will be sung for ages. The Lord tarries and the Lord wills. Maybe not all the same songs, but the same words. We share the same faith, and singing is, is one way we do that. So why do we sing? We sing to follow the good musical oral tradition of the saints of old. So we see the example of not only men and women from ages past, 
but also heavenly hosts. Number three, we have a heavenly example. Revelation 5, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. There are many heavenly scenes of worship and singing. We should believe that singing will be a part of our eternal routine, our heavenly liturgy. We also have the divine example of Jesus. Jesus um, is said to sing in Hebrews chapter 2, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. We also have the example of Jesus with his disciples after the first Lord's Supper singing a hymn. God sings, and one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So God wants us to be like him, and one way is to sing. We were created to sing. We were created to worship. And so we were created, with number four, it to be physically natural. Singing is human. Babies sing. My one-year-old daughter, I think, is going to be the Pentecostal among us. Uh, we, put on a, we put on a song, and she just ad-libs all, well, the whole ride home. Um, it's amazing, yeah. And we didn't have to teach her that. I'm a good Baptist. I don't do that. Um, so she, she just sings her brains out, and it's, it's absolutely wonderful. If you have a voice, you have an instrument of praise. You don't have to learn guitar, the drums, the piano. You are an instrument. In fact, all acoustic instruments model the human voice. They were designed after the function and form of the human voice. And it's as simple as speech stretching into song. We take our, we take our voice modulation and hold it out, and it becomes a note, and we sing it. It's as simple as that, and we all, we all can do it. Some better than others. Our very own voice master, Delreen Hoffenrichter, who is here this morning, I won't point her out, um, but she's listening. She's among you, she's listening now. Um, I had to quote her in, in discussing the topic um, of today's seminar with her. She said, the voice is the only instrument God made that can carry both the melody and the words. So the voice is special in that way. While singing is the most natural thing in the world, Song, music, helps us communicate something more than just information. So number five, music, and this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a little a little thicker. This is gonna be our heavier section here, so hang on. Number five, it's spiritually, mentally, and physically connected. And I'll echo a lot of what Ryan was talking about with head and heart in this section. But why don't we just preach longer? Why don't we just read more scripture, have longer prayers, fill up, fill up our service time with that. Why do we sing? Why do we use music in our corporate services? Music carries the truth differently than spoken word. You know this. Read your favorite song lyric. Some song lyrics will have poetic merit on their own. Some will be completely ridiculous. I was looking up some ridiculous song lyrics uh, this week in, in prep for this, and a few came up that I won't share with you just because they're terrible. Um, but, but some of them um, kind of struck me because I, I hadn't thought of them before because I really loved the song, and I hadn't thought about how poor the words are. And um, only time will tell if we stand the test of time. That's, uh, 
That's a, uh, that's a Van Halen lyric of a favorite song. Only time will tell if we stand the test of time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but you add that favorite melody to it, and it comes to life. Um, so music has a, has a special physical, mental connection there. Music and song helps us remember. My mother is a prolific singer. She's going to be listening to this recording, I'm sure, and somehow she's already posted it to Facebook. Um, Love you, Mom. She had a song for everything, from grammar rules, I was homeschooled, to state capitals, to people's phone numbers and addresses, and to the Ten Commandments. Number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. Anybody else? No? Somebody's learned a... If you, raise your hand if you've learned a Ten Commandments song. Anybody? No? Oh my goodness, my sister. That's my sister. Uh, okay. Yes. I grew up in the Von Trapp family. I'm sorry. After Maria came. Wow. Singing helps you remember. Um... The music helps us remember. We have, uh, I'll play a melody. Everybody hearing the, mel- hearing the words? In Christ alone, my hope is found. Right, we remember those lyrics because they're attached to a melody that carries it in a different way than spoken word. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote many, many hymns, thousands, maybe, yes something around a thousand. Um, And we know a lot of them, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, We know know the words to that song that we sing every Christmas. His brother John Wesley was a preacher and had thousands of sermons. Can anybody quote a John Wesley sermon? Maybe. There might be a couple nerds in here that could could pull out something. Um, But not not likely. We remember it because it's attached attached to music. And David knew this. David understood this. In 1 Chronicles, he says... Um, he writes to remember the wondrous works that God has done. Psalm 77, he says, let me remember my song in the night. He uses song to remember. Psalm 119, to hide the word in his heart that he might not sin against, against God. You ever go to bed with a song stuck in your head? I do every night. And some, some can be terrible. Um, and some can be... <laughs> But you attach truth about God and can be life-giving, can be wonderful, can carry you through the night of a sleepless night. There's been amazing studies done on Alzheimer's patients and how they can remember songs of their youth when they can't remember the names of loved ones. There's a Time Magazine article called Singing Changes Your Brain where all these studies and all these doctors with all these letters behind their name say that singing in a group specifically can lower stress, can relieve anxiety, releases endorphins and oxytocin that enhances feelings of trust and bonding. They're quoted to say, music evolved as a tool of social living. Singing is like an infusion of the perfect tranquilizer, the kind that both soothes your nerves and elevates your spirits. This is a completely secular article. And they, they marvel at the acorn while ignoring the oak tree, Right? They praise the means without the proper end. We know that God is the giver of this good gift, and we know that he wants us to enjoy it while enjoying him and praising him. The song is the vehicle that carries the truth. 
to our memories, to our hearts, where, as Paul says, it can dwell in us richly. Paul Jones, in his book, Singing and Making Melody, says that music clothes the word of God with sound and also reinforces its message with meaning beyond the realms of words. It communicates with our souls as a metaphysical force. Music moves us. Different kinds of music and sound moves us physically, mentally. Um, just like, just like there's, there's different kinds of chords, and they can make us think and feel different things. Minor chords. Minor chords are sad. Right, right, yeah. And then major chords are happy. It's amazing that a different sound can make you feel differently. And, and then how the musician or the instrumentalist um, uses those sounds can make you feel or think certain things. Um, we can all remember our favorite uh, or think of our favorite movie scores that move us and, and take us to a certain place or a certain time. And it's also spiritually connected in what Ryan talked about, our head and our heart, um, singing in spirit and in truth. As it affects our minds and moves to our hearts, we're affected. We're also reminded of the sobering verse in Amos 5, when God says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. The melody of your harps I will not listen. Shows us that a song is not enough, that we can't just sing whatever we want with whatever motivation or heart we want. Must be filled with the Spirit, must be led by the Spirit. And the simplest way I, I think about being filled with the Spirit is filling your mind and heart with God's Word. If I was to shake you hard enough, you'd vomit God's Word. So that's the image I want to leave you with today. <laughs> Bible vomit. Which leads to number six. Sometimes singing is just absolutely necessary. John Piper, who's good at words, he says, The reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation, and heaven, and hell, are simply too great for mere speaking. They must be sung. David knew this in Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Again, Isaac Watts, in his hymn, Come Those Who Love the Lord, he says, Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. And Fanny Crosby and other hymn writers would write, I sing because I can't be silent. From the overflow of a grateful heart for who God is and what he has done, we cannot help but sing. Our cup runneth over into song. But again, the act of singing and making melody or music is not enough. It must be carrying something of worth. So that's the next question. What do we sing? You guys are doing good. Keep it up. All right, we're moving, moving quick. What do we sing? We sing truth. We sing God's word. David writes in Psalm 119, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are true. Music has its own voice. Just like I said, when we play a musical example, it can make you feel, think a certain thing. Music has a voice. We just don't know what it's saying. So how do we interpret it? Because one chord might make me think or feel a certain thing and make you feel something totally different. So how do we interpret that voice? It must be tethered to the word of God. Or like a hot air balloon could float off into the space of our 
fantasies, emotions, and imaginations. We must tether it to truth. So two sections under this. Number one, truth about God and truth about us. The truth about God is who he is and what he's done. Who he is, his attributes. We sing holy, holy, holy. We sing a mighty fortress. We want to declare who God is and his attributes and all his love to his wrath his justice. We want to sing about what he has done, his great deeds, and creation, Christ, the cross. We sing in Christ alone, and then can it be? Number two, we sing truth about us. Three things under that, our need, our lot, and our response. So under our need, we sing songs of confession, repentance, we sing, Kyrie, Lord have mercy. We sing, Sinner, uh, come ye sinners, poor and needy. We sing of our lot. We sing songs of lament and trial that we recognize we live in a broken world. But we sing, it is well. We sing, dear refuge in my weary soul. We sing, raise your hands in the night and in the day. Our God is greatly to be praised. And then all of those things, who he is, what he's done, Our need, our lot, leads to our response of thanksgiving life. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Great is thy faithfulness. Mike Cosper, in his book, Rhythms of Worship, or Rhythms of Grace, excuse me, he says, Biblical singing expresses a wide range of moods and emotions. We don't just sing songs of victory and triumph and stick our head in the sand, ignoring pain and suffering. But we must also sing of loss, of the frowning providence. Do we have a song for the man or woman drowning in guilt to sing? Do we have a song for the husband and wife who have lost a child to sing? We must. We sing wordy songs. Some, you know, we may sing more wordy songs than you would like. Um, it seeks to exhaust the depths of our language. To describe God's glory in our plight. We sing simple songs. Songs of devotion. We bow down and confess that you are Lord in this place. Um, I need thee every hour. We sing simple songs that repeat. Repetition is not a bad thing in worship. In uh, Psalm 136 we see. For his love endures forever. 26 times in 26 verses. There's a clear chorus there that David wants to ring out, but that's always in response to something true about God or about us. So repetition is not always a bad thing. Wordy songs are not bad. Simple songs are not bad. There are different ways that we can communicate to God and to each other. We sing prayer songs. My five-year-old, almost six-year-old, was snuggling up to me while I was working on this. Um, anytime I have my iPad out, they're interested in what I've got going on, so they're, they're up there wanting to know if I'm playing games or whatever. Um, but she crawls up next to me, and, what are you working on, Dad? And uh, I said, well, I'm working on this singing seminar. And so I started asking her questions, like, Bella, why do we sing when we go to church? So five years old, she says, because God says so. I said, that's absolutely right. I, I asked, why, why does God say so? She thought, she said, because songs are like prayers to God. And I said, do you want to teach the seminar? <laughs> because I was, she's got it. Um, at least part of it. 
and that's God's grace in her heart and mine. We sing prayer songs. We sing songs that help us to pray. John Calvin said that singing prayer songs, and he, he thought a lot, and most of our songs, even songs of praise, were, could be categorized as prayer songs. They help, help focus wandering thoughts and inflame withering affections. We sing, speak, O Lord. We sing, make us one. We sing, Lord, we come to hear your word. And then the fourth kind of song. So we've had wordy songs, simple songs, prayer songs. Number four, we sing resolve songs. And this is the one I've had the, uh, the most struggle with over, over the years. We sing truth about ourselves that is not always true, but should be. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock, my salvation. Fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. We are shaken. I'm shaken. I'm shaken right now. I'm scared to death. This isn't making any sense. But we sing it because it's more lofty than our experience. These resolve songs, and they, they should be. We sing it that it may be true to remind ourselves that it should be true and that by God's grace it will be true. So what do we sing? We sing truth. Truth about God, truth about ourselves. Truth that teaches, warns, and consoles. So what happens when we sing? So all of this kind of leading up to the actual singing here. What happens? We're going to discuss three powers at work when we sing. Number one, unifying power. Number two, clarifying power. And then finally, creational power. So in unifying power, we see that music is powerful when we sing together. We are unified in body, our breath, as we breathe in and out together as we sing we're unified and hands raised or hands clapped some of the times when, yeah, most of us are on one and three, some of us are on two and four, and some of us are on the corner. I don't know. <laughs> so, so sometimes, ideally, our bodies are unified. So we're unified in body, in mind, in the word that we're singing, the word that we're thinking about, and we're unified in spirit, our hearts and affections being stirred together. So we could put those uh, more neatly and three A's, acclamation, affirmation, and admiration in our body, our mind, and our spirit. Singing is God's gift to his people to allow us to align our hearts and emotions and bodies to each other and to his word. So in this unifying power, we, again, as Ryan emphasized, we should be thinking about the fact that we are doing this with each other. We are a group. We are to be others-focused. Jonathan Lehman gave me a, a really great tweet here. He said, church is not a place for turbocharged quiet time. We're not to come here to try to connect to the DSL of our devotional life with God. That is for private. This is corporate. We are to be others focused. It's one reason we don't turn down the lights so we can see each other. So I can see you, so you can see each other. I have the benefit of being on stage facing you and seeing faces in the crowd. I can see hands raised. I can see clapping. I can see crying. I can see eyes closed, eyes lifted up. If you could see what I see, my heart is encouraged to sing when I see you sing. It's encouraged to believe what we're saying. It's encouraged to praise. Your song helps my song. 
So look around. Again, as Ryan said, glance around. Especially if we're singing songs to each other. Songs of resolve, to believe, to have faith, to be strong. So let us look around and, and be encouraged. And if you catch somebody's eye, yes, don't think that they're judging you or, or looking down on you. Instead, think that they're your brother, your sister in Christ. They love you, you love them, and we're in this together. Most of us avoid looking around because we don't want to be distracted, right? So we want to close our eyes, we want to, we want to have this little phone booth worship session, um, which is you and God, it's just me and God, just doing business with God and, and no one else. We want to break out of that phone booth and think about other people. So be uneasily distracted. Embrace uh, the sounds of life that happen in our, in our room with young kids as we, as we encourage families to bring their children in. Embrace the sounds. Embrace the sounds of young children trying to sing and doing, doing it poorly. Embrace the sounds of the, the middle-aged guy next to you trying to sing and doing it poorly. We need to be uneasily distracted. I read a good tweet again. I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, said a, a godly Christian is easily edified. Godly Christian is easily edified. It made me think that a godly Christian is uneasily distracted. So be uneasily distracted in our, in our worship times as we think about each other. Again, Hebrews 10, as I quoted earlier this morning, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is in the context of our corporate meetings. Also, in the unifying power, there is imitation going on as we have children young believers and unbelievers in our midst, that they might look to us, the mature Christians or the, or the parents, and see worship, and see singing, and see our love for God being expressed in song. So there's, a, there's an imitation, there's the evangelical aspect to it happening. As unbelievers come in, we want them to say that God is here, even if they can't explain it. Charles Spurgeon says, Other nations sing unto their gods, let us sing to Jehovah. We love him, we admire him, we reverence him. Let us express our feelings with the choicest sounds, using our noblest faculty for its noblest end. It is well thus to urge others to magnify the Lord, but we must be careful to set a worthy example ourselves, so that we may be able to not only cry, Come, but also add, Let us sing because we are singing ourselves. So let us be unified in our singing. Number two, there's clarifying power. As we sing, so we believe. Again, to encourage, challenge, remind each other of what we're singing, that we believe it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and monitoring one another. It is the singing, God's word, is the echoing word. We listen to each other. We own and affirm what we believe. This is our chance to respond to God's word that we've experienced throughout the week and even the sermon that we've heard or the scripture that we've read. We're responding to this word with our whole body and saying, I believe this. Saying, yes, this is true. So this is, this is our chance to do that. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, this isn't, doesn't happen in the halls. We don't live a musical. So we don't want to walk up to each other and just start singing songs. Hey, brother, how are you? You know, um, it could, yeah, that could be awkward. 
So I believe that Paul in Ephesians 5 is, is just talking corporately when we sing together as a group, singing praise to God. So to encourage that clarifying power, sing to be heard. This is, yeah, this is, some of you aren't going to like this. Sing to be heard. Some of us come and we milly vanilliate, right? We, we lip sync or we're, we're moving our lips, but the, the, the sound's barely falling out. Sing to be heard. Sing to encourage. Sing to stir up. And that leads to number three, creational power, which is, I love how that sounds. It just sounds fantastic. I wonder what's going on here. Creational power, in a way, is the combined effect of the first two, of unifying power and clarifying power. It's like Captain Planet. When our powers combined, we create music. We create we are making melody. When we sing, we are doing what we are created to do. Psalm 57, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. We reflect our creator when we create music. When we make it together. Now we're not writing music on the spot on Sundays with, with each other, but we're singing. We're making song. We are filling space with song that wasn't there before. We are making melody together. We create music. It affects our created bodies. Our bodies were created to be involved in music. So there's creational power at work in us. And Leonard Cohen knew that when he wrote Hallelujah. There's the minor fall and the major lift. Again, as I played the minor chords and the major chords that make us feel differently. There's creational power in having that music affect us. Mike Cosper in his book, Rhythms of Grace, again, says, try to use music in a way that doesn't affect us emotionally. Music comes through our bodies. And our bodies and souls can't be disconnected from one another. The Bible calls us to sing and to make music together. And when we do that, we will inevitably invoke the physical effects of music on our bodies. We are created with that wiring already in place. The body is either a problem to be solved or part of the reason we are called to sing. There's also the creative aspect of singing that we tap into here at DSC. It's something I love. We sing a new song. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts, Psalm 33. So there is power in writing new songs from God's people, for God's people, specifically even for our church, for this group of people, this, this manifestation of the church here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as we write and create new songs. And I'm looking around, and there's four or five faces in here that have attributed to that. And that's, that's a wonderful gift to our church, and it's a wonderful gift to those individuals. But there's, there's creational power in singing songs that are for us, by us, through us, and to him in worship. So there's power in the united voices of God's people, singing God's word clearly for God's praise. So why wouldn't you want to be part of that? So, next section. This is where Nacho Libre would say we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. So why don't we sing? Why don't we sing? Why don't you sing? We're going to look at this. This is, this is, yeah, this is where it gets a little bit heavy. So, is this, how's it going? Is it going okay, everybody? All right, good. 
All right, number one, failed leadership. We may not sing because of poor leadership in the church. Poor leadership not leading clearly. We all come from uh, probably various of church backgrounds with different church leadership, and, and I'm not trying to indict anyone. I'm certainly going to be pointing to myself in many ways here. We don't know what we're singing about or why. We don't speak clearly about what we're doing. Maybe the leading isn't confident. They play poorly. They sing poorly. And so you don't want, you don't want to join. You don't want to be a part of it. And here's one that I struggle with and will struggle until I die. Not leading wisely. Choosing bad songs. Playing too loud. Playing too long. Playing too high. Playing too low. Those are, those are all things that we consider with every song that we choose, every week that we sing. And we miss the balance. It's a tightrope walk for us. Sometimes we fall off. But there's a net of God's grace under that for us as we continue to try each week. That's why Sunday comes around every, every six, seven days, right? Um, we get to try again. We get to try again. So, in the poor leadership of the church, I would ask that you would pray for your leaders. If you go to DSC, pray for me. Pray for Ryan as we oversee the um, the worship, corporate worship here. Pray for us to be wise. We also see failed leadership in the family. So men, I'm going to pick on you for a little bit. Ladies, you can listen in. Men, we may be failing our families. First, we need to deal with the stigma of singing expressively. Singing is not macho. Singing is just for women and children and Justin Bieber. Which doesn't encourage most men to sing. Clint Eastwood doesn't sing. Marlboro Man doesn't sing. Ain't got time for that. Unfortunately, a lot of famous male singers are effeminate. We must fight up this cultural stream, men, to show our families, our sons, what it looks like for a godly man to sing. You may show your son what a godly man does when he's watching his favorite sporting event. Man, I would hope that you would express your love for your wife in front of your kids, showing them that you love and cherish her. So let us do that with the God that we love, that we sing about, even if singing isn't your thing. Jonathan Lehman says, in a culture that sometimes equates masculinity with the stoicism of a Clint Eastwood-like character, modeling enthusiastic singing is especially important for male leadership. So what do we do, men? We lead in our families in making singing normal. Singing is not normal in a lot of our houses, in a lot of our upbringings. So it can be awkward. Singing in the morning, singing at night, as, as we meditate in God's word day and night from Psalm 1 and Psalm 92, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Deuteronomy 6, wonderful passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I think that pretty much covers it. That's everywhere. Um, and I think singing is a wonderful tool that can be used to do all of those things. So live a song-filled life. Encourage singing in your home. Encourage singing in your car. Encourage singing at church with your family. It doesn't all have to be singing hymns or songs of the faith. We just sing together. Sing songs that the kids may have fun with or that you might enjoy. So then that tool can be used when we come to bring it as a sacrifice to God. Mom and dad, let your kids hear you sing. Sit together in service. This is, this is um, something we're going to talk more about later on in session three. We're going to talk about family, private worship, and corporate worship. Sit together in services. If you have young kids, parents, you have 650 services between the ages of four and 17. Just let that sink in for a second. You have 650. So make them count. Commit your family to sitting together, to singing together in corporate worship. Also commit your family to some form or rhythm of private family worship. And that might just scare you to death because you don't feel qualified. Okay, I I don't know what to do. Well, as one of you, when you signed up for this conference or this seminar, you asked, uh, you put in the comment section, keep it simple. So this is for you, whoever you are. We're going to keep this simple. Keep it simple with three S's. When you meet together as a family to worship, three S's. Song, scripture, supplication. And especially if you have young kids, keep it short, keep it simple. Sing a song. Read God's word. Pray together. Simple as that. Drew, we're not musical. Oh, I don't know. We don't sing. We're not singers. We don't have any instruments in the house. Well, there are resources for you. If you have a CD player, grab one of our VBS CDs. If you have young kids, sing along. Grab our, our live worship album or another worship album that has songs that you, that you love to sing and that you love to, to hear. Put that in your CD player. Sing it with your family. Sing. Let the, let the CD help you along. We also have the Sunday recap that I put on our music blog on our website every, every Monday morning that recaps what we did on Sunday, all the songs, the lyrics, the chord charts, if you are able to pick up an instrument and play, and also the MP3s, if we have them available. You can use those in your family worship times. And also there's a, a new hymn app um, that I put on your resource page at the very, the very, very end from hymnary.org. And this hymn app is fantastic. Um, it's a hymnal, but also plays the accompaniment for you. So you can push the play button, and it'll play the four-part hymn for you, and you can sing along. And it's also a fun way to expose your, you and your family to looking at actual notes, since we don't use hymnals anymore. But you might have older kids, and maybe you've never done any form of family worship, and this is, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to start. It's going to be hard to maintain, even if you've done it. For forever, you can testify that it's hard to maintain with our busy schedules, but it is worth it. We have so many distractions for drawing against us for family worship. We have 17 Wi-Fi activated devices in our house pulling us 17 million different directions at the same time. Turn them off. Put down the phone. 
turn off the iPad, turn off the video games, the TV, whatever else. Turn them off and spend some disciplined, focused time with your family. There's a reason they call them spiritual disciplines. But you might say you didn't grow up around music. Kids are older, we've never done family worship, that's okay, you're not dead yet. There's still time to right the ship. Number two, so that's failed leadership. That one's so bad. Number two, failed stewardship. Fear. Paul Jones, fear is the least cited but generally all-inclusive reason. It takes many forms. Fear of error, embarrassment, fear of what others think, fear of losing control, fear of criticism, fear of offending others. Self, such self-conscious behavior may be appropriate to certain situations or aspect of our person, but it has little place in the corporate worship of the Almighty. Your, your voice is a gift. Your song belongs to Him. Just like our money and our time should be using our voice for God's glory and the good of His people. You never sang. I've, Drew, I've just, I don't sing. I've never sang. I just don't even, I don't even know how to do it. You've let the paralysis of neglect set in over the years and you feel it's too late. It's not. There's hope. You can sing. I can show you that it's simple. It was and is part of classical education and, and some other forms of education, but that's dying. We need to be good stewards and support your kid's school music program. That could be one simple way to, to fuel this. If, um, if Jane Austen was writing this next section, it would be called Pride and Preferences. We have failed stewardship with, with our pride. Drew, I'm really bad. You're probably right. Um, no one wants to hear me sing. Again, you're probably right. But, but God does. There's no scriptural qualifier that you must be a good singer to sing to God. So sing. We feel vulnerable. Singing makes you feel vulnerable. Ugh. There's many master public speakers. Um, just like public speaking right now makes me feel vulnerable. I'd rather be singing this. Um, I read a story of a, a master public speaker that was taking voice lessons, and when he was asked to give his first recital, this guy has spoken in conferences all over the country, the thousands and thousands of people, was asked to give a recital in front of 50 people, and he totally froze. Um, singing makes you feel exposed. But it shows our selfishness, doesn't it? It shows our self-focus. When we should be others-focused, we should be God-focused. We should be distraction-fighting. Be uneasily distracted. Then self-focus leads to self-driven preferences. So I don't know if you know this, but different people like different kinds of music. We probably have as many favorite artists in this room as we do people. And we all take a pretty high stance on our favorite music. Your favorite music is inferior to mine, and let me tell you why. <laughs> is what we all think, right? Me and, me and uh, John, where you at? John? John McMillan, he was in here a minute ago. There he is. Yeah, we go back and forth on jazz and pop music. I'm a pop guy, he's a jazz guy, and so we argue back and forth on the merits of those genres and how one is better than the other or when, it's, uh, when it's a ridiculous, uh, meaningless argument. They both have, they both have uh, many, many good things to offer. But it's fun, 
and we keep each other, we keep each other sharp. In an MP3 age where we can pick and choose our favorite songs and discard the rest, we're tempted to pick and choose our favorite worship songs. So I'll sing when he does that Tomlin song I like or that Hill song, song that I like, um, or our favorite style even. I'll sing when we do the acoustic set. I really like the acoustic set. I feel like that's more worshipful. Um, the drums. The drums are just too distracting and loud and distracting and loud. I'm looking right at Ian, the drummer, by the way. He's trying to hide back there. <laughs> it's, no, it's, that is our preference, right? Our preference. And I don't think preferences in and of themselves are sinful. We, we all have our favorite, favorite things. But are we letting our preferences drive us, or are we driving our preferences? We all bring our preferences to the church. I do. I have my favorite songs, my favorite sets, my favorite um, styles. That's why it's so tempting for church leaders to conform to the musical image of our culture. So what do we do? We need to prefer one another with our preferences Prefer one another. We need to expect to not like every song we sing as a church. I don't. I get to pick the songs. I pick some, of the, I pick some songs that I don't like to sing. But I pick them because they're good songs. They serve a purpose. They serve a need. They build up. They instruct. They charge us. So we should all do that. So try this. The next time we sing a song you don't like, you're not, not your favorite song, meditate on the words more closely, more deeply than you ever have. And then sing it louder than you've ever sang and see what happens. You might find that that song encourages you. It is not a particular style or sound that connects us, but it is the gospel. Christ is all and in all. Let us remember that when we come to church with our preferences held high. Our preferences, we have emotional responses to our preferences, don't we? When someone hasn't seen your favorite movie, it's like, oh, it's like they slapped you in a glove and challenged you to a duel. <laughs> you haven't seen Star Wars? What's wrong with you? You immediately have all these horrible thoughts about this person, even though they've, they were probably, while you're watching Star Wars and playing with toy lightsabers they're reading their bible and you're <laughs> we need to be careful with our preferences don't we we can we can let them dominate us so we need to drive them and drive them drive them to the cross you guys have listened great so finally the final part of this section we sing because god tells us to he made us to he blesses us through it and we bless others through it it helps us remember encourage challenge one another it gives us an input for the word to dwell and an output to join the saints below and heaven above in responding to who God is and what he has done let's pray God you are good your steadfast love endures forever May we find that your love is better than life itself, and may that cause our lips to move, to act, to sing. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.